It's worth. It's always good. Good to laugh, right? So uh, John gets given a parrot, and this parrot is just foul mouth. It's just terrible. Just can't control what he says. His speech is horrendous, swearing and cursing and carrying on, and has a vile temper. And uh, so John tries to discipline the parrot unsuccessfully. So one day he grabs the parrot by the throat like this and gets really angry with the parrot. The parrot just gets angry back at him. So he said, this is enough. So he opens the freezer and puts the parrot in the freezer and closes the door. I know, I know, I know. It gets worse. Anyway, so the parrot is screaming and shouting and kicking, carrying on inside the freezer and everything, and then it goes quiet. Just quiet. He waits for about a minute. There's nothing. So he goes, okay, I don't know, maybe he's dead, maybe I heard him. I don't know, maybe he, literally, he opens up the door, the freezer, the parrot steps out onto his arm, he says, I'm so sorry for speaking so badly to you, I want to apologize, I want you to help me to get this temper under control, I will never ever speak badly again or curse or anything, I'm just so grateful that you let me out the freezer. What did the turkey do? <laughs> okay. All right, so we want to talk about Jesus today. We're approaching Christmas, and it's the Christmas season. Amen? So praise God, we want to talk about Jesus now, uh, I want to continue what I started last week about uh, just unique things about Jesus, and I know that you know everything I'm going to say to you today. So it's going to be a refresher course. It's just going to remind you of how wonderful Jesus is, okay? That's what we're going to be doing. We're just going to remind ourselves of just how wonderful Jesus is. Now, C.S. Lewis was a great preacher, wonderful author, and apologist, just, I mean, amazing, brilliant man. He was the one who came up with this statement, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is the Lord. And you've all heard that. Um, we've all used that in conversation and in trying to witness to people. You know, when, when he said he was a lunatic, it was basically saying, um, Jesus thought he was God, and uh, he, he, was a, he was a lunatic. You know, he really wasn't God, but he, he thought he was God. And so he went around telling everybody he was God. He's, he's crazy. Um, or he's a, he's a liar. Uh, this is a person who, you know, knew he wasn't God, but told everybody else he was. So he misinformed them, lied to them, and then told these people that he was the way to heaven and that they should put their faith and trust in him. So he's a liar. Or ultimately, he is the Lord. And we have to make up our mind who we see Jesus as and who is he. And then uh, last week I quoted, uh, I quoted uh, Clayton Jennings, but in my quote I misstated one of the words. So I'm going to do it again. 
this is what Clayton Jennings said. He said, Jesus was either a maniac, a magician, or the Messiah. So it's based on C.S. Lewis, and I can see where he's coming from. And what Clayton said was, who we say Jesus was doesn't change who Jesus is. Who we say Jesus was changes who we are. And it changes where we will spend eternity. So who we say, what we say about Jesus doesn't change him, but it does change us. Amen? So let's have a look at a few things. Um, I want to start off with this one. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Now, we'll deal with a lot of this in Bible college. But I just want to say the Bible is made up of two covenants, basically. For, for Sunday service, there's two covenants, okay? The Old Covenant, which is the Old Testament, and then the New Covenant, which is the New Testament, all right? So <clears throat> the Old Covenant was negotiated by Moses. Moses represented the people, Israel, and he negotiated with God what's called the Mosaic Covenant. That's where the law was given. It was a terrible covenant because nobody could keep it. And everybody failed all the time, couldn't keep the law. So it was very difficult for God to bless them because nobody was keeping the law. So Moses wasn't a good mediator, but he was a great prophet. And he was a great man of God. And we have five, the first five books of the, New Te- of the Old Testament to thank him for. Okay? All right. So then Jesus comes along, and Jesus becomes the mediator of a new covenant. Now Jesus is 100% God. And 100% man. This time he can represent man and God in the same contract, in the same negotiation. So he gets a far better deal. In every contract or covenant in Scripture, there is always the shedding of blood to confirm the contract, confirm the covenant. Okay? So there was the Mosaic covenant. There was the Abrahamic covenant that preceded that. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus, through his shed blood, becomes the mediator of the new covenant. So he's the one who negotiates between God and man. So he does a wonderful job of negotiating. Now, the person who negotiates the contract is called the covenant head. So Moses was the covenant head in the Old Testament. Jesus is the covenant head of the New Testament. What is significant about that? Well, when two people formed a covenant... They would, rip, they would be called the covenant heads. And what they would do is they would make uh, 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 an oath to each other. They'd make promises to each other. Then they would have the shedding of their own blood. And then they would do some other things to form a covenant. And basically what they said was, everything that I own is yours. Everything you own is mine. All your liabilities are mine. And all my liabilities are yours. I will defend you no matter what the situation is. You can call on me at any time I'm in covenant with you. Anytime you need help, you call on me and I'll be there. So, if the covenant head, who could be a head of a family or head of a tribe, made such a covenant, then everybody below that person is also in the covenant with them. Now, if this covenant head didn't keep his word, to the other person. Say the other person said, I need your help. I'm being attacked by a tribe. And come and help me. 
and he wouldn't go. He'd be breaking the covenant. If this person said, I need help, I'm starving, I need food, and the other covenant head wouldn't help, he'd be breaking the covenant. You understand what's going on? If he broke the covenant, those people underneath him would actually rise up and kill him. Kill the covenant head for not keeping the covenant. It was that important. You understand, when Jesus died and shed his blood, he died for the covenant, and he died for you and me. He died for you and me, and he brought us into this new covenant. Okay? So let's read the scripture where Jesus says in Hebrews 8, well, Jesus doesn't say it. It's said about Jesus in Hebrews 8 and verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. So the new covenant is better than the old covenant, founded upon better promises. And this is the ministry Jesus has as the covenant head. In Luke 22 and verse 20, Jesus says, Likewise, what Scripture says about Jesus, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So that was the cup of wine that they had taken after eating, breaking bread. Then he took the cup of wine and he said, this is the blood, my blood of the new covenant that has been shed for you. So the new covenant is, found, is founded upon the blood of Jesus. Cannot be reversed, cannot be undone. It is forever. It is eternal, right? Very, very important. Jesus holds a unique position of being the mediator and our covenant head. So anytime you need anything, Anytime you need anything, you could go to Jesus and you could actually pray the prayer and say, Jesus, as my covenant head, I'm asking for this. And he cannot refuse you. He cannot refuse you. Because a covenant is in place where his blood has been shed and he's promised to help you whatever your situation is. Understood? So it is an un unbreakable covenant that he has placed. I want you to write this down. All Jesus has is yours, and all we have is his. All Jesus has is yours, and all he has is ours, because we are part of the covenant. That was the promise that was made. Everything I have is yours, everything you have is mine. So everything, everything Jesus has is ours. All right? You with me? All right, it's very, very important. All right, the next thing I want to talk about, the uniqueness of Jesus, is that Jesus was anointed to heal the sick. Now, we had, we had Old Testament prophets that healed the sick. The anointing would come upon them uh, to heal the sick. But Jesus specifically had an anointing that was upon him, that stayed upon him in his whole, whole ministry, and it was to heal the sick, cast out demons, and so on. And we find it in Acts 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil or who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So God the Father gave the Holy Spirit as an anointing upon Jesus to empower him to do miracles, to heal the sick, deal with demonic forces. Any person who needed help, there was this anointing upon Jesus to do it. And you know the interesting thing is, the same anointing that was on Jesus is now upon us. Because that anointing came upon us on the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, I want you to go and wait 
until this anointing comes upon you, until this power comes upon you, then go into ministry. The Holy Spirit is one spirit, and He carries the anointing. He is the anointing. So He, the Holy Spirit that came on Jesus as the anointing, is the same Holy Spirit that has come upon us. Same Spirit to do the same works. Jesus said, the works that I have done, you will do also, and even greater the Why? Why? Because I'm going to the Father. When I go to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. So He was going to enable you to do these things. It's not through our strength. It's not through anything of our goodness, our righteousness. It's all about the Holy Spirit being upon us and doing the work through us. Not only was Jesus anointed to heal the sick, Jesus is still our healer today. Say that with me. Jesus is my healer today. In Matthew 8, 17, it says, He Himself took our infirmities, our weaknesses, and bore our sicknesses. He took them in His body. And 1 Peter 2, 24 says, By whose stripes you were healed. By whose stripes you were healed. It's an interesting statement here because it says, in a past tense, by His stripes you were healed. So when you get sick today and you you, 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 you having to deal with something, you can go to that scripture and you can say, by his stripes I was healed. If I was healed, I am healed. If I am healed, I is healed. Okay? And uh, so you can, you can resist what's coming upon you uh, by claiming the fact that Jesus bore your sicknesses and bore your, your weaknesses and your infirmities. You can claim that. And you can believe that. And you have to stand on it. And uh, next, uh, the next, the end of the year service, I'm going to jump ahead a little myself now. Um, after Christmas, that's the last uh, service of the year, I'm going to talk to you about what happened in this year in your life and what we need to do about what has happened in our life and what we've been gone through, the good things and the bad things, right? Good and bad. So don't miss it. We need to look back at uh, 21 and, uh, and then we need to hold on to what God has given us. Yes. Amen. So this is a situation I'm talking about right here. If you have been healed, Satan comes along to try and steal your healing from you, and you have to hold on to it. You have to hold on to your healing. Um, I'm going to say something here. Um, uh, more effort has to be put into holding on to your healing, holding on to your health, than actually getting your healing. And if you understand that. Because Satan is trying to steal your health and leave you sick. So you've got to stop him from stealing your health. You have to hold on to your health. Most of us spend most of our time fighting against the sickness. Okay, we'll leave that. Let's keep it Sunday morning. Keep it light. 1 Peter 2.24, by whose stripes you healed. Then Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He said... Uh, that uh, the scripture says he was in Colossians 1.15, that he is the image of the invisible God. And Jesus said this in John 14 and verse 9, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The question is, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic or is he Lord? Was this statement true? Was he lying? The statement is true. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Now you see, here's the thing. Was he talking about his physical appearance because because we aren't there we we don't see him in the physical we see him from the scriptures we see what he did what he went about doing what he said so we form an image of jesus from what we read about him amen so that so here's the thing 
The image that you can get of Jesus from Scripture is the exact image of the Father. You can't have a different image of the Father than you have of Jesus. Whatever you think about the Father comes from what you think about Jesus. Are you hearing that? Yeah. So those people who deny Jesus as Lord, who deny Him as the Christ, deny Him as Savior, cannot have God the Father as Savior or Lord. They cannot, because Jesus is the express image of the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it's imperative that we see Jesus in the spirit world with our, with our mind, with our intellect, with our vision, with our spirit man, based on the Word. We form a picture of Jesus. And that picture has to conform to Scripture. All right? That's very important. So that's how we get to see the Father. Now, Jesus was given another unique point. Jesus was given the most powerful name in the entire universe. And uh, Philippians 2 and verse 8 says, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No stone, is, no stone has been left unturned. When the Father gave him this name, uh, the name of Jesus, it's above every name. It's in, it's in three, three places at least. It's in heaven, it's on earth, and it's under the earth. Now, when we say under the earth, that doesn't mean Australia. Okay. Well, they certainly need it there. It's, it's actually in the earth, but I believe that the Holy Spirit and the author didn't want to say in the earth because we would go, okay, where's in, where's in the earth? So you say, well, under the earth. Okay, again, where's under the earth? If you go that side, where's under? So it's actually talking about in Hades and Gehenna, it's in the middle of the earth. It's under the earth. It's inside. That's where it is. So Jesus' name is exalted in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every knee will bow. Every knee will bow at some time. And isn't it nice to bow now, willingly, rather than have to bow to a mandate. I mean to bow in, in heaven. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that out loud. Keep it light, okay? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, I bow my knee willingly to Jesus my Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. What a powerful name he's got. Every person will bow their knee. Number, whatever, no numbers. If I'd numbered it, I'd have been lost. He has been given all authority in heaven and earth. <clears throat> Not just some authority, all authority. All authority. Say all. all. Hey, it's beautiful to hear that. So Matthew, 8, uh, Matthew 28, 18 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus, are you a liar? Are you a lunatic? Are you Lord? Are you crazy? Are you a maniac? Or are you the Messiah? Jesus, you said, you said 
All authority has been given to you. You said it in heaven and in earth. He claimed that all authority has been given to him. And I believe him. I believe him. He is my Lord, my Savior. I believe him. Now, here's an interesting one. Another unique thing about Jesus. The Father has given Jesus all rights of judgment. All rights of judgment. Many people don't know this, but Jesus is the one who's going to be doing the judging. We know about this, the, the <coughs> judgment seat of Christ for Christians. We know about that. We also know about the great white throne judgment. The world will stand before the great white throne judgment. But when most people don't realize is that the great white throne judgment, it's going to be Jesus doing the judging. Let me show you. Are you still here? You've gone home. All right, have a look at Acts 17, verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So now let's put the word God in the place of he. For he, God, or the Father, has set a day when he, God, or the Father will judge the world with justice by the man. He, God the Father, has appointed. He, God the Father, has given proof of this to all men by raising Jesus from the dead. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is indication that God has given the judgment right to Jesus, and that Jesus on that day will be the judge. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. Another unique point. This is about Christmas. Jesus is the Savior of the world. This is the great Christmas story. It begins in Luke 2, verse 11, as the angels speak to the shepherds, and they say, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And then the, jo then the angel speaks to Joseph in Matthew 1, 21. And she, talking about his wife at the time, Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will what? Save his people from their sins. He is to be the Savior. He's going to save them. And Acts 4 and verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which... We what? Must. We must be saved. That's an imperative. We must be saved. That is not an option. There's no other name. Buddha, Muhammad, doesn't matter. No other name. There's, no, there's salvation in no other name given among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved. People have to be saved. You can ask people a question. Have you been saved? Right. Are you saved? Yeah. How did you get saved? Through the name of Jesus. Yeah. It's the name of Jesus. That's how you get saved. No other way. Right. All right? It's imperative. That's the only way to salvation. Now, Jesus can only be your Savior. Listen carefully to me, and you might want to write this one down too. If you give up your life. You see, in India... They have over a million gods. And one of the problems that they have 
is when they present Jesus as Savior, people accept Jesus as Savior, and now they have one million and one gods. Because they just welcome any god that you offer, they take them on, they add them on. The problem is they have to give up the other million gods, only have one, that is Jesus. In America, people get offered Jesus, and they add him to their life, and now they have two gods. That's right. Themselves and Jesus. And then they decide who they will serve from day to day. And you see that mostly on Sundays, which God they decide to serve. You see that during the tithing. You see it during serving a church. You see it during witnessing. You see it during discipleship. They decide which God they will serve. Yeah, there you're going home. So you see, we need to have one God. In order to have that one God, we have to give our life up and over to Jesus. Jesus becomes our only God, and we give up our life. Now there's no choices anymore. It's just, Jesus, what do you say? What do you want me to do? What is it? Tell me what you want me to do. If I read in the book, I'm going to do it. I don't argue with you about what I should do, what I shouldn't do, because obviously you are my God, you are my Savior. It's called submission. Submission. Submission may be, or the opposite of submission, may be the greatest sin in the church of Jesus Christ. The lack of submission. Okay? Hebrew, uh, uh, Romans 10 verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there it is. There's, I've given you four scriptures. There's many more I could have given to you. But Jesus is our Savior. We call on His name. That's how we get saved. Now, how many of you want to be loved by the Father? How many want to know the Father loves you? Okay. I'm going to give you some information that you, that, uh, you probably don't know. Um, because actually I didn't know it until I did my research. And you know, if I don't know it, <laughs> there's a good chance. A high probability. Do you know that Jesus only used the word grace four times? He only used the word repent 11 times. He used the word hell 15 times. Notice we're climbing. He used the word sin 26 times. He used the word faith 40 times. He used the word prayer or pray 47 times. He used the word believe 65 times. He spoke about heaven 100 times. But the thing he spoke about most, and is recorded most, is the Father 150 times. It pales. The amount of times he used the word Father or spoke about Father makes everything else pale in comparison. From this you can determine that in Jesus' life, Father was paramount. Pleasing the Father, doing the Father's will, speaking about the Father. It was all about the Father. So we need to know that He came to do the Father's will. And 150 times it's mentioned. And Jesus says this in John 16, 27. The Father Himself 
loves you because you have loved me. So if you love Jesus, the Father loves you. There's nothing else you have to do to get the Father to love you. Say, the Father loves me because I love Jesus. Amen. The Father loves me. Now, I want to tell you a story that uh, is, it's in my new book. And uh, that's the financial guide for believers. I'm read, I want to tell you the story. If you've read the book, you'll know the story. So just don't tell anybody the answer. It'll be the end of the story. Okay. So a very wealthy man um, had an extensive art collection. And famous pieces of art by famous artists. And people would come from all over the world to have a look at his collection. Love to see his collection. Many times, museums and uh, uh, people would, wealthy people would try and buy his collection from him or a piece from the collection, and he wouldn't give it away. He wouldn't sell it at all. He said one day it will belong to his son. His son will inherit it. Well, his son joins uh, the army, and unfortunately, he gets killed in combat. Uh, he's the only child. And it's a devastating experience for the father, devastating. And uh, a few months go by, there's a knock at the door, and there's a young man stands at the door and introduces himself and says to him, I knew your son, we served together. I was in the unit that was attacked, and I survived. Uh, I'm sorry that your son passed, um, but I just wanted to let you know that I knew him, and he was a, a wonderful man. And he said, uh, I'm a struggling artist. I've just begun my uh, artist career. And he said, so I painted a portrait of your son while we were friends. And they said, it's not very good because I'm just starting out, but I'd like to give it to you. Because I, I really did, you know, enjoy and love your son. The father was so moved that he wept, hugged the picture, kissed the portrait, and went and put it in amongst his collection of fine art. He put it right amongst the Picassos, Chagall's, Heretes, and he put it in there, and uh, he just, on a prime spot. And so when everybody came to see his collection, he would go first to the picture of his son, and he would tell the story about how his son died in combat and how this young man did this portrait for him. And he would, so proud of this portrait. And uh, then the father dies, and finally the will is, is uh, in the will, there's an auction to take place of his art. So people come from all over the world, museums come, uh, hoping to get just one of the pieces of the fine art. And so the day arrives and everything is put out, and the auctioneer gets up and uh, takes out the piece that is the portrait of his son, puts it up and says, we're going to auction this piece first. And everybody starts shouting and jeering and saying, no, 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 get on with the real auction. You know, that's, that's hideous. We don't want to I mean, this is terrible. Let's get on with the auction. And he says, no, I have to auction this first according to uh, the uh, instructions in the will. So he, there's no bids. There's no bids. Eventually, the gardener who had worked for the family for 20 years, who knew the son, loved the son, was a poor man, he says, I'll give you $10 for it. It's a, for him, it was a lot of money. Um, but he said, I'll give you $10 for it. And so nobody else bids. And the auctioneer, one, two, three, slams down the auction says it's sold, the pieces for you. And then he says to, says to everybody, that concludes the auction, it's all over. And uh, they go, no, don't be silly. You've got to, we, we come to, we've, what is this, you know? 
We, we want to, the rest of the stuff. And he says, no, according to the will, it says he who gets the son gets everything. And he gave the entire auction, all of the, all the pieces, the famous art, millions and millions of dollars. He gave it to the gardener. He got it for $10 because he loved the son. And in the father's eyes, if you love the son, you get it all. Folks, if we love the son, we get it all. Why don't we stand and give God praise and honor and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Lift your hands, close your eyes as we honor the Lord Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. He is the word that became flesh. He was born of a virgin. He was named Emmanuel, God with us. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. He came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. He gave us resurrection life. He gave us eternal life to those who believe on him. He, redi- he died to redeem us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. He is the Lamb of God that was slain and is seated on the throne forevermore. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the exclusive way to the Father. Without Him, no one can get to heaven. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has been given a name that's above every name. He's been highly exalted. And every person shall bow because He's been given the name that's above every name in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Give Him glory. Come on. Let's give Him glory this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, Savior, we worship You, our Messiah, our Lord. We worship You this morning. We praise You, Jesus. Father, thank You for giving us Your Son. We love You. We love Your Son, and we appreciate Your Son and all that Jesus did for us. All that He paid for us, redeeming us from sin, delivering us, making us children of God, giving us heaven as our home. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given to anoint us, to abide upon us throughout all of our life on earth and then into eternity. Lord, at this Christmas time, we thank you for what Jesus did. Thank you, Jesus, for humbling yourself as you did, coming to the earth to die such a painful death for us and for loving us and for becoming our covenant head and for giving us all things. And we declare today, if we have the Son, which we do, we have all things. We have all things that the Father has. We have everything that heaven has is ours today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rejoice one more time. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, while you're standing, let's have the ministry team come forward. If you have a need for prayer, We want to pray for you this morning. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this would be a good opportunity. Now you've heard more about who He is. This would be the opportunity to come and give your life to Jesus. One of the ministry team will pray for you. If you wouldn't receive the Holy Spirit, just pray. Ask the Holy Just just ask the ministry, pray for me. I'm a believer. I love Jesus. I want to receive the Holy Spirit. If you need healing today, remember that by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. He is the healer. You can have you can have it today. If heaven's got it for you, you can have it today in Jesus' name. So remember one more thing. If you're not certain in your heart, if you're not certain, Jesus is your Lord. Please come forward. Ask one of these people to pray with you. Make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Remember, 
Remember, it's not really an option. The scripture says, there's no other name given by which we must be saved. Imperative. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful presence. We, we just worship Jesus today. And Father God, as we gather next Sunday for the great Christmas service, we thank you that throughout this week we'll be conscious of your presence. We'll always remember Jesus, either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us opportunity to share this truth with many people during this week, and especially during our fam- with our families that are not saved. Bless your people, Lord. Provide for them, protect them, and release them to become prosperous in every way in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you.